I've had the opportunity to preach probably 10 times. And I want to tell you all, I have never felt less prepared than I do this morning. Um, and that was made even more special when I got a text about 20 minutes ago from somebody I respect a lot in this church that said, you get to follow that. Uh, but man, my response was, that was beautiful. Uh, so I'm not competing with that. What I just hope to do is come and support what has been proclaimed, which is the goodness of our God. And so I apologize ahead of time for how ill-prepared I am, and may the Lord use this weak vessel, this easily distracted fool, to proclaim his goodness. Um, I got to attend that wedding that Anna was at yesterday, and Jennifer said to me during the reception, I was like, what's wrong? And she just was standing like that. She said, I just can't believe Anna right now. She was radiant, and she was dancing, and she was like a different person than the person that Jennifer had videos of a, a, a week before. We serve a good God. And as we celebrated yesterday, we serve a living God. That's what last Sunday was about, was that we have this Savior who taught and was a good example, but that is just a fraction of what Jesus was. And he was killed and he was buried, but he rose again and he is living today. And so we're going to endeavor now to open the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. But then the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. So the word of God is Jesus. God incarnate. God as a man, and yet Jesus also exists in the written word. The nature, character, the exact representation of God the Father is Jesus, but it's also all wrapped up and bound in the word of God. And so this isn't just for this morning. Like This is a moment to teach this church, those in attendance, that what we do in this hour When we gather corporately to worship God, one of the things we do is sing. One of the things we do is pray. One of the things we do is proclaim his goodness through testimonies. Another thing we do is teach and preach the word of God. Here's why. We are bombarded with messages from deep within our own hearts, from our own insecurities, we tell, our, we, tell, we tell ourselves constantly we're not good enough, that we're miserable, or maybe we're really arrogant. We tell ourselves how awesome we are. We're bombarded from messages from parents who tell us and have expectations of us. We're bombarded from messages from our spouses or our children or our friends or our neighbors. Certainly we're bombarded with messages from media. And it's really easy to be exposed to a hundred thousand lies a day and believe a certain percentage of them. But the word of God is true. It's living and active. And it is the means by which we 
have our minds renewed day by day and transformed into the image of Jesus. So we've proclaimed the goodness of God. People have exclaimed the goodness of God. And now we're going to hear of the goodness of God. And the purpose of this is so that our hearts might be renewed and our, sorry, our minds might be renewed and our hearts transformed. That is how God has ordained that we become like him. One of the processes is suffering, as it's been expressed this morning. Another process is being transformed intellectually and from the heart when we see and experience the person of Jesus in his written word. That's why I'm now going to say, normally I do make an effort to not even bring my phone to church with me on Sunday morning. The reason is because I'm like... I'm definitely ADHD. But also, this thing is way, way more powerful than many of us give it credit for day in and day out. So I want to, I'm not, I'm not an elder here, I'm not commanding you, but I want to highly encourage you to consider developing that, if it's possible, leave it at home or leave it in your car when you come to church. Get back into the habit of using the written word or something about this. Now, this is a great tool. There's great resources, great apps that I have that help me Bible study. It's also an incredible distraction. There's no, none of the distractions here. So I just want to encourage you, maybe consider having that become part of your discipline when you come to church on Sunday morning. Don't operate off of a tablet or phone, but start to get back to the word where we can focus for this hour. Because a lot of us are weak in Bible study and discipline, and maybe maybe we're not in the word like we should be during the week. At least make this hour a sacred hour where you do protect your own heart to focus on the word of God. I mean, our, we have we have elders who labor on our behalf, and one of the ways we honor that is when David comes to preach on Sunday morning, you're ready to hear. You're not allowing yourself to be distracted. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can't use that as an excuse because I write this right this very moment, I will give one of these to anybody who wants one. At any point, you can reach out to Nick or David or Kevin and say, hey, can I have a copy of that? And you will have one of these. If you don't need a giant study Bible and you're maybe... 10 years old, we have awesome children's Bibles. So you just don't have an excuse to not have a copy of God's Word this morning. But man, that is how we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We take on the likeness of Christ when we are exposed to His Word. It changes our hearts. So that's what we're going to do in this moment, is open His Word, invite Him to fix our thinking. I got to go to that wedding yesterday, and I got to give the charge to the couple who was getting married. And one of the things I said is, at a funeral, we tend to celebrate the life of the person who's died. So even though it's a death, we celebrate life. And one of the things I suggested to that couple is that a wedding, as morbid as it sounds, should be a celebration of death. Because you have these two individuals, these two single people, these two children... And they're stepping into adulthood and oneness. So the old young man and the old young woman are dying. That's their call to marriage is die to self. We're going to 
pick up on some of those things this morning. This passage that we're going to touch on in Proverbs 3 has some promises for us, has some some benefits we can derive. And the path to achieve all of those benefits in this passage is death. The way we become like God and the way we are blessed by God is embracing and pursuing even our own deaths. If you look right now on the New York Times bestsellers list for advice books, there's a book called Atomic Habits. And here's um, a little snippet about that book. The author draws on the most proven ideas from biology, psychology, and neuroscience to create an easy-to-understand guide for making good habits inevitable and bad habits impossible. Along the way, readers will be inspired and entertained with true stories from Olympic gold medalists, award-winning artists, business leaders, life-saving physicians, and star comedians who have used the science of small habits to master their craft and vault to the top of their field. Isn't that exciting? Does that make you want to go buy a copy of Atomic Habits? There's a... There's a really, really terrible movie called World War Z, and it's based off of a really awesome book by Max Brooks. And uh, there's a segment in that book that when I, I... I'm a terrible reader, so I do audiobooks. When I was listening to that book, I stopped, I rewound, I listened to it again, and then I, co- I went and found the quote and copied it. Because I, I think it's a phenomenal quote. This is what it says. The only rule that ever made sense to me, I learned from a history, not an economics professor at Wharton. Fear, he used to say, fear is the most valuable commodity in the universe. That blew me away. Turn on the TV, he'd say. What are you seeing? People selling their products? No. People selling the fear of you having to live without their products. He was right. Fear of aging, fear of loneliness, fear of poverty, fear of failure. Fear is the most basic emotion we have. Fear is primal. Fear sells. I'm going to challenge you right now. Pay attention to this this week, to all the messages you hear from inside yourself, that friends confide in you, and really that you, you hear in media, and see if that's true. How much advertising will you see this week for the following? Okay. Ways that you can live a long life. Ways that you can achieve success. Ways you can find purpose in your life. Health and wellness promises. Or suggestions of abundance. The reason that book Atomic Habits is at the top of the list is because it's selling something. The fear of mediocrity. I'm going to go back through that list, okay? Long life. How many messages have you heard about fame and renown being important? Have you ever seen the movie Troy? The stud Brad Pitt plays Achilles, and he says to his soldiers as they're going to battle, immortality. People will remember your name. Go and take it. Like that's the, the suggestion that even if you can't live forever in this life, people will know you and there's a sense where you'll be immortal because people will honor you in, in ages to come. 
We get bombarded, particularly in social media, about ideas of success. People with phenomenal charisma, they, they have great social media followings. They amass wealth and influence. And we're told that we should grow, we could start a business and grow it and follow the tactics of famous CEOs. We get told messages about purpose through pursuing your passion and working really hard and being your own boss and persevering despite what your haters would say. Everything under the sun is about health and wellness. Diets. Don't ever eat meat. Or eat only meat. Cardio and weightlifting matched with the best supplements will make you who you're able to be. Ideal protein, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Bowflex, Peloton. Everything you can imagine, you're going to get smashed with health and wellness promises this week. And then abundance. If any of you got caught up with the Wall Street bets craze and Robinhood and Tesla and um, was it GMC GameStop stock, cryptocurrency, it's everywhere. I mean, 15 years ago, it was gold and silver. Every gas station and five and dime store had a sign that says, we buy gold. Real estate or maybe a conservative like through careful conservative investing in money management with Dave Ramsey's principles, you can achieve abundance. There's not nothing to be gained through any of these things. I mean, Paul says there's, there's usefulness in training the body, right? But these things are not nearly as important as that they're made out to be in our current world. And there's messages in all of them, and it's fear-based, And the promises are hollow and the paths to achieve the things that are being sold don't work, not according to God's word. But this morning, the passage, we're actually going to see that God does promise some of those things and he tells us how to achieve them. And it's not through buying somebody's products. Long life, success, purpose, health and wellness, abundance, these things are pointed to by God as good things, things to enjoy, even things to pursue in their right capacity, place and context. But he also prescribes to us, those who would listen, the best likely path towards achieving them. And it isn't buying something. It's not even pursuing it directly. Instead, my assertion this morning is that in order to have the greatest likelihood of realizing the things that we desire in our lives, the path to each one of these is death. Let me explain that. The first one we see in verse 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. Let your heart underline that. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. If you want a long life, according to verse 1 and 2, the way to achieve that is death to self-governance. I said I was unprepared, so you should have just a bunch of lines in your worship guide instead of like fill in the blanks. That's that's on me, y'all. I was in California this week, flew home, actually wrote the wedding charge, <laughs> went to the wedding yesterday, got home late last night, really began to write the outline of the sermon, finished this morning. <laughs> so I did not have a guide for you. But you can write, the path to long life is death to self-governance. And what I mean by death to self-governance is obedience to God from the heart. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. 
So the world will tell you a lot of ways that you can have a long life. Well, God tells you the method is to die to self-governance and obey God from your heart. We're told how to become successful. I really love the book. Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, is a phenomenal book. But that's not how you achieve success. Look at verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Underline that. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So write this down. The path to success is death to selfishness. The way you become successful is you die to self. And you write love and faithfulness on your heart. Rick Warren has the famous book, Purpose Driven Life. I've never read it. I don't know what his path is, but I know what God's path is towards purpose. Read verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Underline that. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. If you want purpose for your life, you need to die to self-direction. So the path to purpose is death to self-direction. You must learn to trust in God and follow his leading. If you desire success. Like I said, we're, we're like, for some reason in the United States, we have this obsession about health and wellness. Verses seven and eight. Do not be, oh, sorry, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Underline that verse. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You can write this down. The path to health and wellness is death to self-sufficiency. We need heart transformation. Not body transformation. And the way to a healthy body is having your heart transformed. Not by pride, because the first thing he says is, be not wise in your own understanding. So it's humility, fear the Lord, it's the fear of the Lord, and it's holiness, turning away from evil. So if you want health and wellness, pursue it by dying to thinking you've got it all on your own, and ask the Lord to transform your heart first. We all want abundance. We want to be able to go to the grocery store and buy groceries without having to check our bank account. <laughs> I remember the first year that we were married, Jennifer and I would sit down on Friday. We, we, we both got paid weekly. We'd sit down on Fridays. We'd sit at the kitchen table. We'd go through our bills that week. And then whatever was left was what we had for groceries and gas that week. And like there were weeks where like we'd get down to it. It was like, we got $66 this week. And I remember, I remember, I worked in this cabinet shop. There was no air conditioning. 
And it, we worked 46 and a half hours a week. So I think it was 7 to 5, Monday through Thursday, 7 to 3.30 on Fridays. And it was in Opelika, Alabama. In the summertime, it was like 180 degrees in that cabinet shop is what it felt like. But I remember like thinking, I, can't, I don't have 55 cents for a Coke. Like we can't afford that. I remember I said that, I, I said that to my boss and like, you know, he was doing pretty well. <laughs> he felt pretty guilty. So he bought me a Coke, but it wasn't, it wasn't an exaggeration, man. I, I didn't have 55 cents to, to spend on a Coke. Not when we had $67 for the week. So man, we all want abundance. Well, look, man, the path to abundance is death to self-preservation. This is what he says in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You know what Jennifer and I did when we um, had $67 for the week? We'd sit down on Friday and pay our bills, but the first thing we would do was tithe. When you have $67 for the week for gas and groceries, uh, you can't afford to give the church $110. But we did, because that was the Lord's portion. You know, over, let me say this. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, um, hope I get this one right, uh, Satan took him to the top of the temple and told him to throw himself down that the angels would prevent him from hitting the ground. And Jesus' response was, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. But you know what? We're not supposed to test the Lord, but there's one place where God actually leaves the door open and it actually invites you to test him. And it's in Malachi. He says, test me in this. Bring the tithe into the storehouse and see that I don't open the, um, the doors of abundance to you. The one area we're actually invited to test God is with our money, is with giving to him. I am not an elder of this church, and so what I'm about to say is not authoritative, authoritative teaching. You'll have to ask David if he agrees with this statement, but I do not believe that tithing is a commandment in the New Testament, that it's not about 10%. I think the call of the New Testament is all of its God, all of its gods, and you should give 90% if that's what is required in the moment. And that's the example in Acts when the church had all things in common. People were giving way more than 10%. They were selling their property and distributing it as people had need. But I will say this, if you're not actively giving to the Lord, I would recommend start with 10%. Here's why, y'all. It's not about a percentage. It's about a heart that says, I am not relying on this $110 to get to the end of the week. I'm relying on the God who's given me the entire paycheck. So I'm going to give a portion as an expression of faith to say, you'll see me through to the end, to the end of this week and you will, you will take care of me. And what I'm telling you is what you do with your money reveals where your heart is. And if you never give to God, that reveals a heart that does not trust that God is able to provide for you, even if you have to be a little tighter than you would be otherwise. And I'm going to say it to you. 
That's the one place in all of Scripture where God says, test me in this. So I'm inviting you this week, this month, when you get your tax return back, ask yourself, am I trusting in this money or am I trusting in the God who provides? And then be willing for God to put an inclination in your soul or to get a text message from a friend saying, hey man, I'm having a really hard time. And then say to the Lord, what would you have me do with this? Test him. A good place to start, if you have no idea, is just write a check, 10% of your income to the church. Because, I've said this before, I love this stupid TV show called Alone. They take 10 people, and they put them out in the wilderness, and they have to survive all by themselves. And whoever lasts the longest wins a half a million dollars. I love that show. And something that show has taught me about the new, about the Old Testament. The people who do really well on that show are the people who are able to feed themselves. Like, people lose an average of a pound a day and the person who stayed out the longest stayed out there a hundred days. One guy, the guy who won season three lost 80, uh, uh, 70 pounds in 87 days. The way he was able to survive was he, kept, he caught 63 fish, and they were fatty fish. The guy who stayed out 100 days killed a musk ox, and there are scenes of him cutting out the fat around the musk ox's nose so that he could eat every last bit of fat from that animal. Because fat has calories, and calories keep you alive. And in the Old Testament, when God told a hunter-gatherer agrarian society to sacrifice the firstborn and to give him the fatty portion, what that was was saying the very means by which you are going to be sustained calorically in the wilderness, the way you're going to feed your family and keep them alive, take that part and give it to me. It's not that God loves fatty barbecue. It's that that's an expression that this is how my family will live and I'm going to give the first guaranteed amount to you as an expression that I trust that you will see us through the rest of this season and see us through the winter and you will keep my family alive. I don't think, Terry, do you have any animals right now that you eat? I doubt any of us have livestock, so it's difficult for us to connect. But you know what all of us probably do have is income. How can you express to God trusting in him? You know what Matthew 6.21 says? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So remember, the path to abundance is death to self-preservation. Your heart is revealed by how you use your money. And that will tell where your treasure is. I'm, 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 I didn't ask David permission to do this. I would, I'm going to challenge you guys, Agape, to step out in faith with your money. Test God in this. Cause he says he's going to, he'll take care of you and he'll, he'll surprise you with what he does with your, um, you're testing him. Man, Mariah, you said something I wrote down is so beautiful. Your trust was not in the medical professional's words, but in God's words. Man, that is beautiful. And that's the heart of what I'm trying to drive at here. So I've given you paths to these things.
right? I've said how you can achieve a long life and success and purpose and health and wellness and abundance. But I want to give a warning here. I don't want you to take this sermon and then go write your own best-selling Christian wholeness book. Five paths to these things. Because I want to give you a sobering reminder. The same person who wrote Proverbs, or at least the vast majority of them, wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And that was the wisest man who ever lived. His name was King Solomon. So before you go rush out and write a Christian advice book calling for the death of all these things, here's this really difficult reality about living in a fallen world. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 14 through 18. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life by his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out with both of them. So I think what he's saying there, and this this is also, I want to say this as a premise to the rest of the book of Proverbs. You see a bunch of if-thens in Proverbs, and they're not hard promises like some of God's words are. They're principles. They're not promises. Solomon wrote both these things. Solomon wrote that the way you preserve your life is through righteousness. And Solomon also said, I've seen a man whose life was cut short in his righteousness. The reality is that we live in a fallen world and there's an element that looks like chaos to us. That even if you do everything right, it doesn't turn out the way it does. We've had testimonies this morning of God's faithfulness and seeing people through difficult times. There's other Christians who could stand here today and tell you how they had a premature baby and that baby died. But in both cases, if they are in Christ, their testimony would be of a good God who saw them through that. So when you read and as we go through the book of Proverbs and you see these if-thens, they're not always hard and fast promises. But we do have hard and fast sure promises in the word of God. That he is good. That he is holy. That there is coming a day where there will be no more sin and sickness and death. And that is what we put our hope in. If this life was all there was, then maybe that is how things would be. Do it God's way and everything works out like a formula. But that isn't how things are. There's a few things going on here and they're surmised at the end of this passage. Verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he delights as a father the son. Oh, sorry. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. When things don't work out the way we anticipate, when things don't turn out as it appears all for good, um, God is still good and he's refining you in that process. 
it's a very similar, those, those verses 11 and 12 really sound similar to me as how Peter wraps up 1 Peter. He says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So I am calling you guys to death today. I'm calling you to listen this morning so you'll stop listening to the lies of the world and know that the way or the, the most likely way of achieving the things that we, our hearts long for is through death, not through the way the world tells you to have them. But even if you do those things, sometimes things still don't work out the way you think they should. And that is because this is not our home. And we are passing through. And even the most prolonged life is 120 years. But one day you will be laid in a tomb. And in what are you hoping when that's your condition? The Christian says, I'm hoping in a Jesus who was resurrected from the tomb, who defeated death who has promised he's coming again to gather up his bride, to dwell with him in a new heavens and a new earth for all eternity. So I'm going to encourage you with some highlights from 1 Corinthians 15. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown in, is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Sorry, inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So if you die to self, but you don't realize all the abundance and purpose and success and long life and health and wellness that this proverb suggests, the reality is you will be being renewed and transformed into God's image and that work will be completed on the last day when he returns. When you can finally take off this body of flesh and put on a resurrection body just like Jesus has and you will live forever with him. And I heard a preacher say one time, every desire of the believer in glory is given to him by God. Every single thing he wants and he goes and asks God for, God says, here you go. Because every single desire the believer in glory has is good. Because he does not struggle with the flesh anymore. He is redeemed from the flesh. And so every desire he has is pure and perfect. And so every time he says, God, may I? The answer is yes. And that's what we're looking towards. That's what our hope is in. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The old self must die. In Christ, be putting off the old man. We read this passage um, at the beginning of our service, Lori did a great job expressing these truths. This is what this is the passage that comes after that. Sorry, let me read this first. The old self must die in Christ. Be putting off the new, the old man. Be putting to death the flesh. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Put on the new. Accept the correction that is from the Lord. Know that sometimes you being entangled in sin is the cause, and God is correcting you. Other times, you're being bombarded by the effects of living in the fallen world. Other times, you're being grinded and sanded on, being refined by the Lord. But all of it is in His hand and His power. It's for your good, and it's for His glory. This is the end passage after the one Lori read. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so they may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There is a good work that we are called to do in Christ. It is to die to self, to deny the self, and to lift up the brothers and sisters around you and do the works that God has prepared in advance for you to walk in. You cannot do that if you have an appetite for the messages of the world. You will do that to the degree that you rely on him and say, yes, Lord, I will go where you call me. And you follow his leading. And he will bring success and abundance and health and wellness and purpose to your life if you die to self. 
But even when things don't appear to work out according to those idioms, he is doing something in you. And the testimony is given this morning. Worship band can come up. The testimonies given this morning are exceedingly precious. Because that's what all this ministry is about, is to see people come to Christ, be plugged into the body of Christ, and mature to, to completeness. And the person who can stand here and say, I've just gone through a living hell, but God has seen me through it and God is good, that is, I don't, I've never had this conversation with David, but I would imagine there's nothing more precious to you as a pastor than to hear somebody say that. Is that why you labor in the word to hear people say, I've been through this and God is good? Flee to Christ. Turn your ears off to the messages of the world. Look to his word. Persevere. But we're not called to do that alone. So that the prayer partners would assemble. I'm going to do them over here again. We're back over here. So if you're a prayer partner, come over here. We're not called to do this alone. Okay, so I'm going to say three things. One, the prayer partners are over here so that they may bear your burdens with you and, and take them to the Father with you. That's why the prayer partners are here. To pray with you through the trials of this world that you're encountering. So as we sing and as we pray, if you have a burden, come and share it. Be prayed for. The worship team is going to play a song. If your heart is full, exult in the person of Jesus and declare his goodness with them. Worship God in this moment. And lastly, if you do not know him, If you do not walk with the Lord, if you love the messages of the world and hate the thought of dying to self, you are a rogue soul and not in Christ. If you don't want anybody to tell you what to do, not your parents, not your neighbors, not your boss, not even the word of God, your soul is in great danger. That pride will keep you from everlasting peace. But Jesus bids you come. Trust in him. Acknowledge that you don't have it together, that your sin separates you from God, that your soul is not at peace, and it will never be at peace until you cry out for mercy from him. And if you call on the name of Christ... Acknowledging that he died for your sins and will impart to you his righteousness, you will be saved. It is that simple. It is an absurd gospel message unlike any other religion. It says God has done everything. You don't have to do anything but acknowledge that his sacrifice was necessary because that's how miserable you are. It doesn't matter if you feel worthy of love. He loves you. And he bids you come and be filled. And he will gather you in. He will adopt you into his family. And you will have newness of life. And the idea of following hard after him and obeying him and 
persevering through trials may seem overwhelming and daunting, but Jesus says, my burden's easy. My yoke is light. You can come and be in Christ. And he will do all the work to sustain you. But he will call you to die to self. But that is a calling that bears the eternal reward. So, come to Christ, you who are far off. Proclaim his goodness, those who are near. Come and be prayed for, those who are burdened. Because that is the work of the gospel in the church. And that's why we're here this morning. Father God, thank you for your goodness. You are a good God. Your commandments are not burdensome. But in them there is death, but through that death there is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Lord, let us be free to walk in a bold, extravagant faith where we do things that the world says, that does not make sense. That is not a financially responsible decision. But you say, come test me in this and see if I don't open the floodgates to you. Because you love us. And you want us to know how good you are. And you want us to know the good things that you have in store for us. And some of those things come. Many of those things come. When we do not trust what our eyes can see. But instead we lean not on our own understanding. But we acknowledge you in everything. And you make straight our paths. You have done a work. The testimonies this morning show that you have done a work to mature us, to conform us into your likeness. And I pray that you would continue that work this morning, Lord. Be glorified by by the prayers of your people and us blessing one another and bearing one another's burdens. Be glorified as we sing your praises. And God, I ask that you would be glorified by somebody this morning here who is far from you but longs to have a heart that has peace, that you will bring them in and they will say, I think I need Jesus. I need God. And you would give them the assurance that your son died for them. And you will transfer completely all of Jesus' righteousness to their account. And may you be glorified by this church this morning. Fill our hearts with your spirit and may you be glorified by our lives this week, I pray. Until the next time we get together, in Jesus' name, amen.